All right, welcome to the Slow Twitch Podcast. Um, we have Brad Williams on the show today, uh, as as well as Ryan Heisler. Um, once again, we are coming to you completely unscripted. Uh, just a bunch of guys talking about a bunch of stuff in triathlon, particularly about the women's race at Kona last week. Brian, what do you want to talk about? We've, we've got to keep this going where we're just unscripted and it just drives some people just nuts. It's just, it's so funny to read the forum posts. So just, they get so irritated that this isn't scripted. Well, so, you know, we covered this when we launched the podcast that we didn't want to, like, this is a little less formal than uh, a lot of other things that we produce out there. So, um, yeah bullet points occasionally but definitely not a script um, I, I do agree that we could organize ourselves a little bit more but that would require time and since we don't pay we don't make our subscribers pay for our website we're generally in the trenches trying to make enough money to keep the website alive and moving that we don't have time to sit around and think about stuff for two days on what we're going to talk about here um that all being said, Kona, right? So um, Brad was on site for the Men's Ironman World Championship in Nice. Um, the two of you uh, went off to Kona. I did remote coverage of the race. And so, you know, it's always one thing to be able to watch, you know, the broadcast and get filled in on some of the things that are happening. But like in terms of, from when you got on the ground in Hawaii, like all the way through, you know, what were the feelings? Like, how was the energy? Like, and ultimately, right? Like, did this, you know, prove out this split venue world championship concept? Brad, let's talk about you first. You got there, what, Thursday? A couple days ahead of me. Yeah, I got in Thursday. Yeah, it was... uh that's when we got in last year as well. Uh, I think it was nice this year in the fact that we got in nice and early and we're able to take advantage of a few days to get up early and get some training done before the, the chaos started. And then, yeah, hit the ground and there was six massive UPS boxes of Piedmontese beef waiting to be uh, refrigerated and frozen. So thanks for that. I definitely had more beef in a 12 week period than I've, or a 12 day period than I've ever had. And it was absolutely amazing. So that was a, a nice start to the trip. But yeah, it was a uh, same, same Kona from Thursday onwards that I've always remembered, except there was a lot less people. It seemed like early on compared to last year. So, and, and Thursday is the earliest I'd arrived. And this was my sixth time there now. Uh, and last year was obviously the first of a double venue and, Last year, Thursday, it was already crowded at the pier at 7 a.m. in the morning. And this year we walked down there and I wasn't too ashamed to be getting into a Speedo because there wasn't many people around to see. So, And, I mean, and when you mean people, do you mean guys? I just mean there there wasn't people to see me in a Speedo for the most part. So that was that was a good thing. No, but no it was. There was, there it was, was dead. It was, yeah, it was, it was dead. dead early on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's no sugarcoating. It was, it was pleasant. Um, I remember because I arrived on late Saturday night, um, you know, getting the rental car was a lot easier than in the, in the past. 
um, getting to, we, we couldn't check into the house until Sunday. And so uh, my wife and I stayed at the King Cam, um, which there was still rooms available there on Saturday night, which typically doesn't happen. And um, we, you know, we arrived and we went to bed, we woke up and I thought it was going to be <clears throat> a lot more crowded leading into that weekend and a little bit early based on the the charity swim event, because that was packed and it was way more organized this year than I've ever seen it, uh, which was, which was really cool to see. But once we left the pier area and got to the house and the next consecutive days of going out and getting either a bike ride in or run on Alihi, um, it was very pleasant from the atmosphere perspective because there wasn't as many, and when I mean as many, like 99% less crazy fast bikers cruising down Alihi angry that you're running. Um, instead it was people running and cycling and looking out for each other and waving at each other. And it, it kind of, it, it, it set the tone for, I think the whole week, um, starting that Monday and Tuesday from, from my perspective. Yeah. I mean, that's what I, I kept hearing people just keep saying that it was nice. Everybody was being nice and they're, wasn't too many disgruntled people there in terms of Ironman people. Um, I think there, I still experienced a few disgruntled locals, but it wasn't nearly as bad as last year. Um, so I think the one day race from that side of things and half the amount of people there is definitely has the town back on the side of Ironman maybe, uh, which I, I don't think is a, a bad thing by any means, but backing up to the Saturday, that is or the Sunday swim. That is the biggest turnout that I've seen. And I think it's the first time they've started on the beach side. Um, so I don't know if that kind of how they had that routed made it seem that there was more people. But I, I remember we were heading out for a bike ride and we stopped there and watched for 15 minutes. And it was, yeah, just swimmer after swimmer. They they had a separate pro wave, which was the first time they've done that, which I think was probably interesting for some of the, the pro women to only have to start with, I think there's maybe 25 or 30 people out there instead of, starting the big mass start and water start, which it, I, from a safety standpoint, I understand why they did it, but I think it's always one of the cool things leading into race week was having that, that pre-race swim and having it a mass start on the course, men and women combined and all the fast swimmers getting out and swimming together. But it was, like you said, it was absolutely packed down there for that. And that's when it first hit me like, uh, it is Ironman race week. Here we are. Yeah. Now I know that one of the reasons why they switched it to the beach was to avoid a lot of the individuals that didn't sign up for the event, um, banning it like they did last year, <clears throat> Sam Laidlow, um, who, so they were able to, to actually funnel registrant participants for the charity event into that corral and then wave start them so that they could keep. And this is what I think a lot of people don't understand, particularly for that event is, is Ironman isn't responsible for you if you're just at the pier swimming, but if you're there for that event, it's a permanent event, they're responsible for you. They're responsible for the people in that area. 
And so it does cause a big safety issue because they have to account for people that go into the water and out of the water. And when you have a mass start on the beach for an event and there's 20, 30 other people that haven't checked in that are participating in that, it causes issues for them, particularly when they're coming into the cove to exit the swim uh, because they're counting bodies as they do that. And so it really messes up their count. And so that was one of the reasons why they started um, in the in the actual cove this year compared to last year's um, and the year before, which I think probably made it seem a little bit larger because the swim has been sold out for years and they haven't increased the numbers that they allow. Um, but it, it did seem way more organized and a lot bigger that year or last year than, than the year before. So it was cool. Uh, Brad, when did your week really start to get busy? I mean, since I was there with Precision Fill and Hydration, we had Expo Space with the Expo kicking off on Tuesday. That's when my week really got busy. Uh, I think, I mean, getting stuff ready ahead of that wasn't too big of a headache. We we brought a fair amount of product and we got that down to the area and got set up ahead of time. But yeah, that was when Tuesdays when it really got busy. I was fortunate enough to go out with Sarah Crowley on Monday and, and ride part of the course with her and kind of sag a bit as well. And um, that took up a, a decent chunk of the morning, but there was that. I was lucky to go out and ride with Loris at all of it on Sunday and Tuesday. Spent some time with her coach, Julie Divins, who was my previous coach uh, for a few years. So that that was good. And those, I think getting there that much earlier allowed me to do some of those things, which was a nice change to, to get in a little bit later and not having as much free time per se. Talk to us about the expo as a, as a paid participant. I mean, I, yeah, I was there as a non expo guy that normally doesn't work the expo and I'm normally running around helping, helping our athletes, but I, I did spend a fair bit of time on the stand. Um, it was good. I, I enjoyed it's the first time I've actually enjoyed being on an expo stand. Um, I haven't been on the expo stand in Kona before, but there was Tuesday was mayhem. I, the parade of nations always makes that expo mayhem, no matter what's there or what's not there because they're flowing the athletes from the parade of nations to end there at the expo. So we had a, a steady stream of people and by steady stream, I mean, it was absolutely packed from 5 PM or 5 30 PM until shut down at seven. So I think it was supposed to shut at seven and we shut at seven 30. Um, every other day it was kind of, it dwindled off, but it was still a constant flow of ones and twos and threes. Um, there was always people in the booth. There wasn't really much time to sit down and, and get anything done. So it's either in the booth or I was out having meetings. So it was good. I, I saw a lot of positives, even though it wasn't as packed with expo tents as years past, but, um, they definitely had. They had enough vendors there, in my opinion. There's multiple bike brands. There's multiple nutrition brands. Hyper Ice was there. Um, yeah, I think all the the key players were there, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, it was if you if you want to compare apples to apples, years to years, the the expo was was half the size, if not a third of the size. Um, but at the same time, I do wonder if it is now the right size for the athletes based on the amount of people in attendance, um, which is, you know, kind of the things that we're, we're starting to figure out and, and learn. I, I will say that 
I was I was surprised at how big the expo was, um, because I think the general fear across the the whole moving into Kona uh, this year was, you know, for the longest time the industry thought even the participants were going to be at like 1200, 1300. And there was 2,100 people that actually started the race and, you know, all year throughout most Ironman events, there's been one, two, maybe three expo people besides the big retail tent. And there was about 20 to 25 actual expo vendors at this. So while it didn't, you know, overflow into the parking lot like it has in the years past, it did, for the most part, fill that entire area. And it was well organized. Hoka had a huge, massive activation, which kind of, you know, set the tone. And then, you know, there was a lot of obvious women specific clothing brands there that were very good to have on site. And a lot of just brands that I think haven't been able to get into the expo in the past um, were, were present and it gave them an opportunity to be customer facing with the athletes that were there. Um, yeah, that's, I don't, I don't know what else to say except the expo, except it was, it was surprisingly big, but at the same time it was small. And I just wonder if that's the new norm when it comes to the split race. Yeah. I mean, what really hit me was when we look back at the year, the championship year, and I was fortunate to be at Milwaukee, Nice, and Kona, and the amount of industry people that I saw at all three of those races. And some of those people also went to Lati, also went to UTMB. And I got back from this trip and I I wonder the impact that it's having on the industry people and our fatigue level and what that's going to do long-term because I didn't have to go to all five of those events and I was at three of the five and I'm pretty tired at the moment in a good way. Like there was a lot of good that has come out of being at all those events um, from networking to seeing athletes and all of that. But yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting with, with this amount of stuff going on. So the island was kind of quiet and I kind of thought that it was going to remain that way. And then all of the sudden Thursday was like game on. Like I remember going into town Thursday and, and I thought, okay, we're actually at a world championship because it had become super, super busy on Thursday. And, and generally speaking, you know, that's when they start to put the arch together and, 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 you know, so I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the mass amount of people that started to occupy a Leahy drive and down by the, the, you know, the hotel area. And so I don't know if it was just people, we need to do a poll on when people actually started to travel into the Island because it may just be that because of the fears of last year's extremely high hike rates on hotels and Airbnbs and things like that, that people just didn't book far in advance, like into the week that they came in later. Um, but 
all of a sudden Thursday, it was like, it's game time. And there's tons of people here. And that was pretty cool to see. Brad, you were at the press conference on Thursday. What talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, it was, it was good. I mean, it was packed house in my opinion from how many people were there. Uh, there's the press was asking questions, which I think is what we've wanted to see now for a bit. And I think we've helped with that. I've, I've asked a question each time I've been there. Um, the athletes all seemed in good spirits and were all excited to be racing. I, I think it was one of the better press conferences I've been at. Now, one of the reasons why it was probably that way was the big announcement before the press conference of the actual series that Iron Man has announced. Ryan, do you want to talk about that to the listeners? Yeah. So, um, you know, a real kind of shocking announcement to be quite honest, because, you know, we really hadn't heard all that much in terms of um, what Iron Man was planning to do with its 2024 pro schedule. And so, um, you know, they've come up with this Iron Man pro series. So you have a total of 18 events globally that wind up counting um, your top five scores over the course of the year, count towards your end of season rankings. Um, three of those can be an Ironman and Ironman races are pretty much worth a double a 70.3. Um, so it's really trying to reward people to be loyal to the um, iron distance. Um, end of the year, $1.7 million bonus pool, um, which, you know, the real kind of interesting additional note is seeing that they're paying 11th through 50th place um, on that, which feels very, um, the you know, it feels a bit of a shot against, you know, the way the PTO did their bonus pool and, you know, with the PTO kind of pulling back on some elements of that, you know, um, it's just, it's, it's going to be a good time to be a pro triathlete next year. Like, <laughs> we're really kind of seeing investment across the board on the you know, financial side of the sport. And if you're a savvy enough athlete to, you know, make sure that your bonuses and your contracts and everything like line up, like you have real opportunity to make money next year. Brad, what are your opinions on it? You've been to the PTR races. You've talked to the pros about it. Is this, do you feel like this is a, going after the PTO move or is it Iron Man just trying to step up their game? I think it's good for the sport as I think what it is. Um, I think there's a few of us. I, I don't think I would have been top 50 in the world with or without the PTO or any of that, but I think it would have changed my race decision-making as a pro to race three Ironmans in a year. Um, and three of the ones would have been, chosen based on what other races were around them. I think people that are looking to get into that money in that 10th to 50 or 11th to 50th place next year, it'll be guys that you don't think are top 50 in the world, but we're very good at selecting the right races. Um, and I think that's, I was halfway decent at that. I, I look back on when the race schedule used to have points and your world ranking was based on points. It wasn't scaled off of time then it was scaled just off of place. And so, I think the scaling of time makes things a bit interesting. 
Um, but yeah, there's, there's some guys that'll be able to get an extra five grand. Is it Ryan? Was that right? Five, 11th to 40th is five. Yeah. Grand. 11th through 50th. Yeah, it sorry, works out as a five grand stipend. So yeah, there's, there's people that'll be putting an extra five grand in their pockets next year that may not collect a lot of money throughout the year otherwise. And so I think that's a nice touch for them. I think it keeps people loyal to, to Ironman in some ways. And I think it's great for athletes that aren't kind of that mid to short course athlete type of athlete. And they're able to focus on doing three Ironmans in a year and two 70.3s and find themselves top 10 in the world rankings on that side of things and putting more money in their bank account, which is never a bad thing. Yeah. I also think it helps those individuals get to races, you know, because if you're, if you're rolling the dice as an athlete that's starting out with pros, I would imagine your biggest expense is travel. And so if you're able to, you know, get a ranking high enough, then this does enable you to offset a lot of those travel costs and allow you to take a little bit more risk to try to get those so that you can get that money to put back into your bank account. Well, it's also interesting, right? Because what this effectively does is now there's two different, well, there's three different classes of Ironman races, right? So you have those that are within the Ironman Pro Series, this 18 events, and it includes the World Championships. But then you have the other races that have pro fields, but are not included in this series, right? And so if you're, you know, kind of that on the fence style athlete, right, in terms of how you should kind of pursue things, like, do you try to chase that 11th through 50th ranking, or do you go to a race that's outside of the pro series to try and go just earn prize money that way and gives you just a bunch of opportunity because at least for 2024, there is that split. Um, whether or not like over the long term, what they're going to do is just consolidate all the pro money into those 18 events. We have no idea. Um, but at the very least, like now there's, there's even more options for you to really put together a strategy to make money. All right. So, we exit the, the press conference and then Thursday night, we've got our annual slow twitch gathering, which I thought was an awesome experience. Um, we did a little bit different this year. Um, obviously we've teamed up with certified Piedmontese and good life brands. Um, and what we did instead of having, you know, cheap Kona pizza and, uh, you know, a keg that didn't work. We, uh, we had we had a proper meal for everybody. Um, we also rented a house this year, so we were able to invite people over to our house instead of using another person's house. Um, no disrespect to Goo, we have greatly appreciated your support in the past, but Goo wasn't there this year, and so we kind of had to scramble to figure out our own thing. But it was really cool because we were able to, I think, extend what the gathering was than it than in the past um we were able to find an airbnb that was okay with us throwing a, ga a gathering and they were okay with the duration of the gathering um and so we had about 90 people that showed up um we we opened it up for registration and we closed it in like two days because i didn't want 
more than like 80 or 90 people showing up because this was kind of our first year doing it. Um, and so we also wanted to be super respectful to the neighbors of where we were at. Um, but I thought it went really good. Brad, you were present. You've been to the slow twitch parties in the past. Better, good, worse, the same. Yeah. I mean, food was better. I'll definitely give you that. You guys had a, a professional chef there cooking. So that, that obviously helped. Um, the coolers were full of non-alcoholic and alcoholic drinks. So that's always a plus. And if you managed to stay and do dishes, there was some really good whiskey that came out. So, um, yeah, yeah. It, all around, I think it was, it was good. I, I showed up a little bit late because of the being down at the expo, but, um, yeah, it was good to, to mingle with longtime slow twitch users, meet people from the industry. It's always been a great networking event, no matter if you're in the industry, an athlete, a spouse or partner, it's, it's always been good from, from all angles. And there was notable people there and we got to enjoy a sunset from a beautiful location. And hopefully that house is available next year. And there, there was still plenty of space. So I think if the owners and you are willing, I think there is room for more people. I think you, you now know what, what there is to offer there and how to manage the crowd. And I think it went well. Yeah. And instead of raffles, we ended up with um, <clears throat> partnering with some of our partners, particularly Wahoo, who came to the table where we were able to give every single woman that showed up a watch. And, and then we had some other swag for all of the women that were in attendance too. So we kind of focused the attention on the women and the women that were there um, instead of just random prizes for the guys. Although I think a couple of the dudes ended up kifing some of the watches too, but in, you know, typical male fashion, um, they were, they were jealous of what the women were doing over the weekend. So, uh, but I was happy with the event. Um, and then Friday was the bike count and there was a lot of interesting things that came out of the bike count. Now, Ryan, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was a big surprise to me, but you had a really good explanation was the amount of, let me, let me figure out how to describe this. The lack of power that was on bikes for the bike count. Do girls just not care about power? What, what's, what's the so deal? It, so it's a combination of different things, right? So, um, you know, one of them is, more often than not, you're going to be looking at an athlete that um, they might ride with power inside. They might, you know, whether it's a, on Zwift or Wahoo X or any other platform. But when it comes to then going back outside, like there's just not a power meter on the bike. But we also generally tend to know that as races get longer, women perform closer and closer to the best male performances in part because women do a much better job racing off of rate of perceived exertion than males do. And so like, there's just, it's which not is, that it's a is, lack of caring or anything else. Like it's just, you know, I think there's a stronger possibility that like there's less of a need um, which is interesting because when we compare the male 
pro bikes to the female pro bikes. So last year's male pro bikes, there was 30% of the pro bikes did not have computer attachments to their bikes yeah. where the females, there was only one female that didn't have a computer mount on their bike. So it was kind of interesting to see the comparison there of the age group women didn't really want a whole lot of data where the female women wanted all the data in front of them the whole time, where the professional males, 70% of them wanted the data, 30% didn't want the data. So it, it, I think some of we're that learning a lot of different things, right? Because we no longer have this like mixed gender race where we can't dissect the data because obviously we're counting this as, as individuals are walking by and we're doing our best. And there's obviously a percentage of error because we're not allowed to stop athletes and talk to athletes. And so, you know, we're just a bunch of industry people volunteering for this, but for the first time ever, like we really have data that is specific to gender. So you've got all of the male data and now you've got all of the female data. And I mean, we're starting to see some of the kind of interesting teases out of some of that data right now, right? Like we just kind of rolled through a little bit of the uh, just purely bike brand analysis on the homepage. Um, and that's not only a gender split, right? Like it also gives you a fair bit of geographic split as well, just because of, you know, the race in Kona was more than 50% athletes from North America. Um, whereas, you know, Nice, you had a greater percentage of athletes from Europe. And you saw that with uh, some of the bike brands, namely Canyon, right? Like Canyon taking uh, the top overall spot in Nice, but winds up sliding down the rankings in North America. And it just comes down to availability, particularly through COVID. Mm -hmm. um, I think Canyon's also plays into it hasn't been available as, in North America as long. And that's likely due to it as well as bike availability but i also think that like canyon is you know there's 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 only a couple colors available at, at canyon and you know that's also not the easiest bike to put together and take apart either and so when you're looking at katana Roo, who had leaps and bounds in the bike count they it's super easy to order it's super easy to customize and it's easy to maintain and when you're talking about women specifically, like those are the things that they're looking for, particularly color. Like, did you, Brad, did you see like how much pink was in the actual like transition? Yeah, it was, there was, it was awesome. a lot of different bike colors. Yeah. And you don't see that with some brands. And so, you know, like, can you guys talk, like particularly Eric, just how difficult it is trying to do the bike count? Because like one of the things that people keep talking about is, oh, like what's the process? What are you actually doing? Like, how's it work? Well, uh, so first of all, the bike count has turned into a huge, massive clusterfuck. And Chris and I from Triathlete have like come to terms on that. And, and, and as slow twitch we're gonna own that next year um moving forward this this is only my second year that i've actually been introduced to the bike count and what it does last year 
it was a whole debacle. Um, Dan was kind of pulled in last minute to kind of help. And, and there's a lot of things that happened there that we probably won't talk about on the podcast, but it was a debacle. This year, we weren't in Nice, so we couldn't help in Nice, and it was a debacle there. This year was a little bit more organized than I think in years past, but it still was super last minute, super rushed. Um, and we also tried some new things to help speed it up, which we learned a lot of lessons. We we actually were able to use a um, an online um, portal where we were able to actually use our our electronics to click on things so that we could actually do the count and then the counts automatically calculated for us. Um, we got there about half the people <laughs> were willing to use that. The other people wanted to write on paper. Um, but just to kind of make a general statement, th this isn't the triathlete magazine bike count. This isn't the slow twitch bike. Count. This is the communities bike count, right? So the people that are there, are all industry partners and they're all volunteers. So you had Anne from Head there, you had Karen that is, you know, she's worked for Profile Design, she's worked for Slow Switch, she's worked for Head, she was there. Alex from Q was there. Jay was from, you know, ABG was there counting bikes. We had the guys from Profile Design. So we had a lot of people there trying to do it. We had Abby, who is, you know, an ex-pro triathlete that writes for Trail over at Outside. It was her second time doing the bike count. So we kind of got it organized. And, and Ironman does a great job at allowing us the spot to do the bike count. They've designated to us. They don't care. They gave us power. They gave us a dedicated internet um, Wi-Fi connection so that we didn't have issues with mobile. But we're not allowed to stop the athletes. Like that's the one thing that Rock said was do not ask the athletes to stop. Like we've got to keep them moving because you are, you're getting 1900 athletes, 2000 athletes through a six hour time window. And so, you know, it's a big challenge. And so, you know, we only had nine people total to do it. And so we chose to double up on certain parts that were very important. And then we chose to go singular count particularly with like Ian at Profile Design, who's been doing, um, you know, aero bars and things like that for years. He was able to do that kind of by himself to get an accurate count because he's so good at it. But like wheels are really tough. So, you know, Anne from Head was helping Abby do the wheels. I was able to do power meters um, by myself. Um, Brad took over for a couple of hours while I went over to the pro field to do that. Um, but we had two people doing the bike count so that we had doubled up so that we could compare numbers. Um, it's a challenge. Um, it could be better. It will be better in, in the future, but you know, it's not like we can just go into transition at night with headlamps and, and count every single thing. Um, and so it's, it's difficult, but it's also really cool. Um, and, and it's really important for our sport so that we can dive into the data to see where trends are actually going. Um, but I will say that if anything is really hard to count, it's probably the wheels are the hardest because a lot of wheels right now, particularly with this year, there was, there was nothing on them. And so, 
you know, the decals were old or there was no decals and they're, you know, they're spinning, right? So they're just rotating past you. And then one of the challenges was you've got the pro field that goes into the left and then you've got all the age groupers that come by the stage and the announcers that were there would stop each pro and kind of talked to them after they had checked their bike. And what you would have is you would have all of these athletes that wanted to hear what those pros were talking about. And so they would all stop. They would stop for like a couple minutes. And then all of a sudden, like 20 people in a group would just come rushing past us. And it was like, everyone was just trying to do their best to count stuff. And that's not to say that we were inaccurate with the count, but it was, it was a challenge to handle the waves of individuals that were doing it. And, you know, I mean, even DC Rainmaker talked about the form where he, he's like, yeah, man, this is like, this is tough. Like, this is not an easy process. So, um, but, you know, now that we have a, an understanding of, from a, from an organizational standpoint, like who's going to own it, um, you know, I think we'll be able to not only get information out faster, um, but we'll be able to increase the accuracy that the bike count has. So, so instead of, you know, plus four or 5% off, maybe get down to like a real power meter and that's like plus 1% on our, we'll see. I mean, outside of the power meter number, was there something else that really kind of shocked you in terms of the results? How old the bikes were. And I, and I think this has to do with priorities of, of, of participants, um, you know, generally speaking, women aren't as selfish as men and they like their stuff the way that they like it. Um, you saw a lot of, I wish we would have been able to have a, an opportunity to do a comparison between rim brakes and disc brakes, saw a lot of rim brakes, saw a lot of road bikes with, um, you know, traditional handlebars and aero bars. Um, that was a, another surprising thing where it kind of took us back 10, 15 years ago when not every single age group athlete bike in transition is as nice or nicer than the pros were riding. There was definitely a separation of a dollar value in the age group pit versus the pro pit this year. I mean, a lot of mountain bike pedals, like SPD, mountain bike shoes. Hmm. Wired SRM. Yeah, yeah. Saw that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, like big funky bikes, though. I didn't see, you know, you, you always, you always tend to see like some weird, crazy, you know, beach cruiser or something. And I didn't, I didn't see a single one of those this year. I did not either. No. Which... You know, last year, the craziest bike we ever saw was a, was a female. It was like this huge beach cruiser with like big old tires. And like, she had a big speaker on all day. She was just there to party all day long. It was, <laughs> it was amazing. She had like the best attitude, but I didn't see any of those this year. Um, so post bike count, right now we're getting into race day Saturday. So can 
Eric, can you put into words what like I working Iron Man race day actually looks like when you're trying to take photos and get stories together? Well, per usual, Iron Man didn't give communications enough motos, um, which is just, I'm sorry, but it's just insane. Like, it's insane that there's nine publications there that have been doing this for a long time. And when I mean doing this a long time, I'm talking about guys, not, not even me, like people have been coming to the island for like 15, 20 years. They're very responsible. They know how to do it. It's not nice. There's not hard corners. They gave communications three motos in order to be able to access pictures. They didn't do a media shuttle. Um, so I actually gave my moto to, to Glenn Murray. Um, because he was able to shoot for us and he also needed to do stuff for the Oceana team. Um, so I was not on a moto this year. Um, so I, I, we got there about four, four thirty AM. Um, I got on the, the, the swim boat, which was always a roll of a dice for me. Cause I get pretty car sick, which means I get seasick pretty easily. Um, <laughs> So I remember last year I was shooting video and I, as soon as I exited the boat, I spent a, a good 10 minutes in, in the bathroom, just losing my breakfast because I was so sick. But this year, um, I was only shooting photos and so I, I didn't get super motion sickness, which was good. So we get there super early. We've always got to find a place to park. Um, Luckily, Iron Man worked with us really well in that regards where we had a parking pass for a specific lot that we were able to park our car in and we were able to, to easily access, you know, where we needed to go in a short amount of time. And we didn't have to stress too much about whether or not we were going to get a parking ticket or, or, or be able to exit um, later on when we needed to go back to the house and do final edits and things. So we start the day a shot and then I was able to actually get out on course on my scooter with permission. So as soon as the swim was done, you know, all of the athletes have to go east of town, right? They've got that long out and back. So there's a good 20, 30 minutes before the bike riders are even back into town where they start to go out on the queen K. And so I left as soon as I was done shooting the swim and the swim exit and got on my scooter and went out on the Queen K to find a spot. What I eventually found out was about mile 25, 30 of the bike course. I was able to park my scooter on the side away from everything. And I hung out in the lava fields. Um, I thought I had gone out far enough to where I was able to get all of the shots that I needed. Um, I did not, there was still huge bunches of, of athletes together. Um, also it was almost physically impossible to get a clean shot of Lucy Charles and Taylor nib, the motorcade around those athletes all day was insane to me. Um, so I missed about 30% of the athletes, which, me meant I got to stay out in the lava fields <laughs> until they came back. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, 
and it was so it was so hot and there was no wind out there and so i ended up going to an aid station where i was able to get some you know obviously some food and and you know some gatorade and stuff and and then i just went and found another spot where i could hang out and be out of the way and and wait for the leaders to come back and um, so i hung out in the lava fields for about two and a half three hours and then and then i shot everybody as they came through and then i followed uh, some athletes in and was was done with the bike and then i moved on to the run course and i was able to get to an aid station where i captured a lot of the athletes coming through um, so that we could do our top 15 um, you know run results and then i and then i was pretty much done i didn't go out to because you know at that point things start to get really crowded and you know glenn was on our moto for us to capture all the run stuff in um you know out on that side of the course and that was the first time i was able to actually come back to the media center and kind of get reestablished and get to the, to the finish line. Um, they're long days. Um, they're, they're hard to navigate. You're, you're dealing with a lot of, you know, not red tape per se, but you're dealing with trying to capture the event and stay out of the way of the people that are responsible for the live broadcast. You obviously don't want to interfere with people. Um, you still had jackasses out there on scooters without helmets, you know, that weren't supposed to be, where they were doing things that they weren't supposed to be doing, which is really frustrating to, to see and witness. Um, and then, you know, you saw the finish line and, um, I cannot believe how fast Lucy went. I mean, I really like, I'm so excited for her, but I'm also really worried I, that she like damaged her leg. <laughs> have you, have you seen the pictures? I mean, it, it's the things you do for a world championship, right? Yeah. I mean, and, you know, world championships um, are forever. But to, you know, your point, right, from a condition standpoint, like it was one of the least windy days that we've seen in a long time. It did get hot. Like it wasn't absolutely it was perfect, pristine hot. conditions, right? But super, super hot. You know, the swim was a little choppy, like not quite as rolling and heave hoeing as it was last year, but it was, it had some, as Matt Lieto likes to say, texture on the water. Um, but, you know, like without any wind, it really takes the teeth out of this bike course. And once Lucy and Taylor were kind of on the front, you had a pretty good idea. All right. Just what, what's the gap going to be from there? And the question's always been, all right, when does Lucy like lose the ability to run? And she just never did. And it's her by far her fastest Ironman uh, marathon run. Um, still gave up all but three minutes of her lead, but <laughs> it was good enough to, you know, take home a world championship. And she did it her way, which is just, go to the front and see ya. It's great. Brad, you were all over the place on race day on yeah, your bicycle. I mean, yeah. Didn't you, didn't you clock like 60 miles or something like that? I got 50 in, which was a pretty big day. It, it, it makes it tough in the sense that 
we as Precision had nine pro athletes there. Um, and so that spreads pretty big across the day, no matter what nine athletes you have. And then we had, I had four athletes that I coached there that ranged, I think, from 9.55 to 14.30, I think was the range that they went. So that that makes my day quite long. I went back and caught a 30-minute nap around the 14-hour mark, I want to say, or the 13-and-a-half-hour the mark. And that, that did rejuvenate me to the finish line, to the final finisher. Um, but yeah, it was it was a good day. I, I I really do enjoy being out there on the course and and watching it. I think the front end of the race was spread quite far early on, and so that made it a bit harder to to watch more of the the front of the race for me because we didn't have anybody up there at the very front early on. Um, so I think Jocelyn was our highest placed athlete throughout most of or throughout all of the race, and so she was I think as high as fourth or fifth and ended up finishing 10th, which was a great result for her. Uh, I think it shows where her form's at and um, how, how things are going with her and her coach Bjorn. So yeah, it was, it was fun over, overall. Got to see a lot of the action, hang out in some cool spots and it's just always fun to spectate there. Ryan, did you see any weird penalties speaking of the race? Cause I, I mean, the strangest, field, so. the strangest penalty goes to Taylor Dibb. Why was who, it strange? Well, she littered she just, across the road. Well, she kept dropping water bottles all well, the time. Right, but when she actually got called on it, like she was going one direction. There was an aid station on the complete opposite side of the road, and she decided to throw her bottle across the road to that aid station. Am I unintentional littering? (laughs) I mean, on the plus side thought process was, Oh, it's an aid station, right? Like I'm not just going to chuck this bottle anywhere, but um, yeah, that's, that was a new one. Um, And, you know, the, the other thing that, you know, is quote unquote odd and, it's the second year in a row it's happened. Right. But, um, Taylor wound up having to serve her penalty just before T2, um, because the penalty tent that she quote unquote should have served that penalty, um, hadn't moved from the other side of the road to, (laughs) to the incoming leg. So the first two penalty tents flopped sides. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, not like the head of the race was just so far out that, you know, they literally hadn't had time to flop it over to the other side of the road yet. Cause there were still too many athletes going outbound. Yeah, I, I did. It'll be interesting to dive into the data because, you know, there was a couple of things that were amazingly unique with this race. One, the DNF rate was the lowest it's ever been. Which kind of goes to the testament of just how strong women can be. Um, But I'm curious on the times because I've never seen athletes at like mile 90 or 100 when there's still athletes going out onto the bike course. 
so um, we started to look at some of these numbers, right? And you had more women go sub 12 hours at this year's race than had finished the race in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, like there were is that increases. A, is that a in, real statistic based yeah. on the yeah. quadrupling of, of women participants? So 36.1% of the fields went under 12 hours, right? Like there's a forum thread where we kind of walked through some of these numbers. Um, The median finish time went up slightly. All of the age group world champions, their times got faster with the exception of one age group. Um, And, you know, there were naturally some more finishers in kind of that 16 hour bucket, but you know, you had a everyone who started the swim finished it. Yeah, that was impressive. That was really in, cool. Uh, under the cutoff too, right? Yeah. Like, um, and then it, it was what a three percent DNF rate. Um, I think it was less. It's two point. Which, it was two point eight or two point seven or something. Which, yeah. So, yeah. which is just unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, you know, like just without the wind, that run course is so hot. Um, oh yeah. And so, you know, to have that low of a DNF rate, um, I think is just a testament to the field that was there. Well, in the, in the, you know, everyone gave, everyone's been given everyone a bunch of crap about how easy it was to qualify. Right. It's, it's like all the noise, right. It's like, Oh, it's not the same. It's so easy. People. One of the things that I noticed because there was, there was 1500 first timers at Kona this year, hmm. which meant there was 1500 people, women, right. That a good portion of them probably wouldn't have qualified in the past, which meant they were so ecstatically happy that they were there that I think that the level of commitment was so much greater from a desire to just go and soak it in and, 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 and finish. I mean, and, and also too, like you noticed this last year where we were on the second day of the world championship and the majority of the people in transition were women. Right. And there was just a, a a completely different vibe there of, of, of togetherness. And, you know, instead of that testosterone, like, I'm going to kick the shit out of everybody here. It's, Hey, we're all here. We're super excited to be here together. We're going to do this together, you know? And, and that's what you felt all weekend long was, was that, um, you know, the high fives, the, the camaraderie, the hugs, you know, the, it just was, it was a really cool thing to watch firsthand. And, you know, for everybody that 
is still negative Nancy about the split, I, I don't think it's going away. And I don't know if it should. Yeah, I, I mean, I think if anything, this proves out the two day concept, like you have to have two days. Yeah. Sorry, like there's no ifs, ands, or buts. You gotta have two days. What's really going to be interesting is to see the size of the field in Nice next year, right? Because we already know that the men's Kona is going to be full. We have, you know, half the field already had their slots due to um, them deferring them from last year. Um, Men's Kona is just going to be bananas. The the big thing is, is are we going to see, you know, the same turnout of North American women going to Nice and then what the percentages look like out of Europe specifically? Um, you know, Europe had good, not great turnout in Kona this year. Um we'll just need to see like that's that's what really proves out the split venue concept because if you can get you know 15 1800 on that course in these and i think that grows over time i do too and it's really going to be up to the european women to fill that like european women are going to have to decide whether or not they want to do that race because the americans filled Kona of the year. <laughs> Let's talk about one other record breaking thing that happened in Kona. Uh, merch Ooh. was sold out. <laughs> Good. There was a two and a half hour line on Sunday morning for the merch tent. The highest record of merch sales ever at an Ironman event happened on Sunday. The ladies were buying their swag, man. <laughs> and they were enjoying every minute of it. It was just absolutely classic to watch and see. I've never seen so many people just happy to be dumping money into Ironman's pocket. I mean, the merch tent on Sunday like, morning. I've seen half hour waits. Like at Lake Placid, right? But two and a half hours. Unbelievable. There was there was there was women lined up at four thirty in the morning to get into the merch tent. And at that point, did you go to bed? Like, they started. They had to start limiting how much they could actually buy. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, crazy in a good way, right? Yeah. Like just. Um. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Brad, overall, what do you think of the women's race? Give it a rating, man. I think it was Out great. Yeah. 9.5. I think the only thing that lacked was filling the pier. And I think Andrew Messick already addressed that, that it was just a timing thing and kind of how things flowed. And I think in 2025, I think we'll see a full pier for the women. And I think that makes it a 10. Um, I think Nice, like we've already just talked about, is going to be interesting next year, how many women we get there. But I, I see a lot of good out of what came this year from the split venues. And I, I look forward to seeing if we can get 
back to a two-day race in some locations and a one-day race in others and, and what the future looks like. But I think this year was good. And I think they'll build on it for next year. And we'll see what 25, 26, 27 looks like going forward. And I just think there's a lot of good to still come from the, these big steps we made this year with with basically what he was given in a short notice and how they turned around and put on what they did this year. So, Ryan, rate the actual race since you were the one that was able to watch the whole thing. Uh, it was a nine, like from a, from the, the pro racing perspective, right? Like just, you had such interesting dynamics that were going on, um, between, you know, oh, Taylor's matching Lucy, but she's got this penalty, but they're just continuing to pull away from everyone. And how, how big is this gap going to be? And who's going to be the one to wind up trying to chase it down from behind. I, because I'm just a complete moron wrote in my pro preview to not doubt Annie hog to be able to run people down and wind up on the podium. And then I promptly left her off my podium picks. Um, I mean, genius move on my part. Uh, and, Naturally, she proved everybody wrong with, you know, setting the run course record, Lucy taking the women's record, Laura Phillip having, you know, another outstanding result. Only three times in Kona history have had anyone gone faster than she did. And two of them happened to do it on the same day. <laughs> you know, it's just un. Unbelievable. Daniela Reef in her last trip to Kona putting together a really good race. Like, obviously, not the performance she would want, but good. Chelsea Sodaro running through the field again. Um, Sky Mounch having a great race. Like, it was just, it was really kind of refreshing. Um, and like, it was legitimately interesting to watch for a change for as long as, you know, I'm sitting in front of the live broadcast um, because sometimes they can be tedious to watch, but there was always something going on. Um, and that was really cool. All right. I'm going to rate our activation from a slow switch perspective. I give it a seven out of 10. Um, there was a lot of things that we should have done that we didn't. A lot of that has to go with the fact that we just didn't know we were even going to go until about a month before Um for a, a lot of different factors, but when we did make the decision to go, um, you know, we also had a, a fresh new crew out there that was there to learn. Um, you know, we've got a new video guy that's full-time that it's his fourth triathlon ever he's been at. And so he was, you know, I spent a lot of time getting him up to speed on where to be, how to be, you know, how to interact with athletes, things like that. Um, we need to be out there earlier next year um, so that we can have those couple of days to get things going. Um, it is a bit of a challenge with, you know, professional athletes and getting their time. Um, there's so many distractions for athletes and, and things that they're responsible for that, I, I feel bad asking them 
for interviews and things like that. Cause they're just, they're just pulled in so many different directions. But at the same time, I personally kind of need to get over that because we have a job to do when it comes to reporting and being able to bring stories. And so um, hopefully we'll be a little bit more on top of that next year with a better plan. We, we already have a, a an activation plan for um, Kona next year um, based on what we've done this year. And we'll probably put together a really good one for Nice as well. So seven out of 10 for us, room for improvement for sure. Um, but the writing was really good, Ryan. Thank you. I think we got that down. I provide content photos, you write. We just need like maybe another writer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The search continues. Yes. All right, well, thanks for joining us on the Solutions Podcast today. And what's next for us? Oz, going <laughs> to Australia. Boom. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's going to be a good one. Nice. Brad, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Good as always.